Welcome to another episode of Chan with a Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice in easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. The pandemic has really forced professionals to self-reflect on what they want in their career, which has resulted in many professionals looking to quit their jobs to pursue other opportunities, whether it's at a new company or a new industry altogether. And with that being said, many professionals may find it difficult to completely pivot to a new area of work. So I have brought on someone for this episode for her to discuss her journey and how she was able to successfully pivot from higher education into the tech space with no prior tech experience. And although her journey deals with successfully pivoting into the tech industry, her strategies and lessons that she's going to share in this episode, the fundamentals of it can be successfully translated for any professional looking to pivot to a completely new field with no prior experience. Her name is Sydney Magania, and she is a Bay Area native who recently took a leap and made a career pivot from higher education into tech. And she told me the decision to pivot careers was not a decision she made lightly, However, she's very grateful that she was able to land in her current role at Microsoft as a business operations program manager. And in this role, Sydney drives all recruiting programs and processes across six geographies for a global organization. She works in close partnership with the chief of staff to ensure the business meets recruiting and hire expectations, provides necessary deliverables, and remains in compliance. In addition to pivoting industries, she has continued to increase her presence on LinkedIn and she shares her story in an effort to cultivate authentic relationships and support others who are considering a similar career pivot. Now let's get into my discussion with Sydney on successfully pivoting from higher education into the tech space without any prior tech experience. Hey Sydney, welcome to the show. Hey, Max, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and the reason why I want to bring you on today is a lot of people during COVID, they realized that they wanted to do something else. A lot of people had like career clarity. They realized that what they wanted to do was not what they really want to do. So they were looking at other options. And one of the difficulties that I've noticed is that it's hard to pivot to different industries and roles if you don't have the right experience that they're looking for. So I understand that you have an extensive background in higher education, and then you ended up being able to pivot successfully to Microsoft, a big tech company, without that tech experience. So I wanted you to come on the podcast today to share your journey with my audience on how you were able to successfully pivot. Because I think a lot of people who are struggling to pivot could learn a lot of valuable lessons in your career journey through the strategies and tactics you use to successfully pivot to your new industry. Great. Yes. And that's, that is exactly it, Max. I, you, like, it was prompted by the pandemic. It ultimately allowed me to really reflect and renegotiate what mattered most and what I wanted most out of my career. And so happy to share my story and hopefully folks find it helpful, right? We're all at different places, but hopefully you take away a piece of information that you can leverage in your career pivot journey. So going back to what you just said, so you also had that like reflection of where you want to go in career and you realize that higher ed is not where you want to be at that moment? Yep, that's correct. So to kind of give you some context on how this all came about, 
I was currently in Salt Lake City, Utah at the time, and I was ready for a change. I had been in my professional position for about two years, and I knew in 2020 I wanted to go ahead and make my next career move within higher education. Specifically, I wanted that career move to really bring me back home to the Bay Area. So born and raised in Mountain View, California, really ready to relocate a little bit closer home to be with family. And I wanted that to take place in 2020. But then COVID hit, and that changed everything. And so the minute the pandemic really hit, the institutions across the country went ahead and implemented hiring freezes. So there was hardly any movement in my field of higher education. So not only was I being very specific with my location, I was also really stuck on what options I had available. Hardly any options were available, and the jobs that were weren't really ones that spoke to me, right? They weren't something I was excited about or passionate about, and I felt trapped, right? It was this notion of, well, I can stay in this industry and try to apply to some of these roles, or maybe I look somewhere else, and I had no idea what that meant, but I, it was an idea that I really just needed to start thinking about a little bit more seriously. So let's rewind for a sec. What made you want to get into higher education once you graduated? That's a great question. So higher ed is kind of all I knew, right? And I think that's why the pivot was a little bit challenging. But to rewind and share, as an undergrad, I was very involved. I loved being involved, kind of holding leadership positions, meeting others, really working and connecting with the professionals on campus. And so based on my on-campus experience, I happened to have several mentors that were like, Sydney, you know, this is a career field. And I don't know why I did put two and two together, but that is very common for folks who enter higher ed is we are so in love with going to college, being involved, meeting other folks. And we typically identify a mentor or two who are able to pull us into the field by saying, hey, if you love it so much, you should pursue it as a career. That's an option. So ultimately wrapped up in my undergrad, hopped on over into my master's program where I pursued my master's of educational leadership and policy, and then went straight into my first professional position within higher ed. So you went from bachelor's right to master's, right? Correct. Yep. Bachelor's straight to master's, straight to my first professional position. So everything was higher ed, student affairs focused. Some people, they do the bachelor's and then they take let's say a couple of year gap and get some work experience, and then they may reconsider going back to school for a master's. What made you decide to want to go straight into master's right away compared to others that would graduate with their bachelor's and then get a few years of work experience and then later on explore a master's opportunity? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's very specific to the field of higher education. A lot of the entry-level positions for working in higher ed in student affairs requires a master's degree or requires that you are currently pursuing a master's degree. So you'll find when you're speaking to a lot of folks that are in higher ed or in student affairs specifically, it is very common to go straight throughout your undergrad, jump into your master's program to then get your first full-time position. Great. And did you do a lot of extensive interviewing or did you already have something lined up before you graduated? I already had something lined up. I actually had my first professional position during my third semester of my master's program. 
Was that through networking or you just were able to like build up the reputation with your work and then they ended up reaching out for an open position that they had? Yep, the latter. So I loved where I was during my master's program. I was involved with a graduate assistantship and someone reached out and invited me to apply to an open role and interviewed and got that position. So I didn't have to necessarily have that time in between, luckily, of I'm creeping up on graduation. Where is my next career move or where is that career taking me? Luckily, I had navigated that during my third semester of my program and started in my first professional role a little bit earlier. Okay, so now we've got my audience caught up in terms of your background in higher education and how did you end up getting to where you were at that point. So you told me that uh, when COVID hit, you, you did a lot of reflection and you wanted to go back to the Bay Area. Uh, but before we dive into that aspect of it, you said that with COVID happening March of last year, things in higher education shut down, right? So did you feel like nervousness or like how did you take the news when you heard that everything was going to be shut down for the foreseeable future and you didn't know that when we, things would go back to normal? That is a great question, Max. It was a very odd time because I was located in Salt Lake City, Utah, and my family was located in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so the Bay Area was experiencing a few weeks of COVID a few weeks in advance compared to what we were experiencing in Salt Lake. And so I would receive pictures and updates from family members showing the grocery store shelves being empty, folks just really being super worried that we're going to go into a lockdown. I actually heard that the California borders, for example, were potentially going to be shut down. And when I heard that, I had no idea what that meant, right? And so I was very much so nervous. I didn't want to be in a completely separate state and unable to be with my family during a time where no one knew what was happening. So thankfully, I went to my supervisor and received approval to go ahead, return home and begin working remotely because there was so much uncertainty of what was happening. And at that time in Utah, we were kind of still in the phase of it's okay. It's kind of like the flu. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. It's fine. And then again, a week later, they also shut down. So I had a very strategic timeline or time frame, I would say. And given the information, I'm so happy that I was able to go ahead and secure that approval to relocate and begin working remotely so I could be home with my family. And during this time when you started working remotely with your family, when did the idea of deciding to move to a different industry or a different role come about? I think it came about several months later. I went ahead and made my way back home at the beginning of the pandemic, so around middle of March. And I would say once it became middle of summer, once folks really understood we were in this for the long haul, that is when hiring freezes were definitely put in place and there was no certainty of when those were going to be lifted. So I would say around summer, July, August was kind of when I started having this idea in the back of my head of, Sydney, you're going to have to think through this. So, yep. Were you worried that there might have been layoffs or did your manager or higher ups said that no one's getting laid off? It's just a hiring freeze at the moment. Correct. Yep. I wasn't worried that I was going to be getting laid off. I know that there weren't going to be folks brought onto the team. And at that point in time, 
my specific team was like we had vacancies open. So we could have used the additional folks to help, but there was not any way that we were going to hire and fill those positions during that time of uncertainty and during that hiring freeze. So moving on, walk us through your research process in terms of where do you want to go for your next career move? Yeah, great question, you know, (laughs) and you'll go on this journey with me, but I truly had no idea, Max, right? At this point, I knew higher ed, like it was not having any opportunities available for me to really consider. And so I then was just kind of like, well, what, what else can I do? And I think it goes back to me saying that higher ed is kind of all I've known. And so I strategically kind of just started talking to people and doing really intentional research. I think a big piece of this that I do want to highlight is that I had no idea where to start, right? No idea. Didn't know what was out there. Didn't know what I wanted to explore. But the other thing was I felt so alone because I wanted to navigate this in a way that didn't really, like I didn't want other folks in my network, my professional network to know that I was even considering a pivot outside of higher ed at this time. So those were kind of the two big challenges that I was navigating as I was thinking about tech. And I think the reason why tech really was the industry that I focused on was again related to the location. Being in the heart of the Silicon Valley, we're surrounded with so many different tech companies here. And so that was kind of how I put those two pieces together with, well, let's start to see what tech means and what kind of positions even make sense for me within tech. What were some of the challenges that you knew going into trying to pivot to a new industry that you would face from an experienced perspective? And how did you overcome those shortcomings that you believe that you may have because you're trying to pivot to a new industry that you don't have a lot or limited experience in? Definitely. So it was trying to figure out what exactly was out there what what was something that I could look into where my current skill set and my current experiences would be able to really translate to a field that I didn't really necessarily understand or know too much about I remember attending a webinar fairly early on it was called non-tech in tech and that webinar really helped me understand the importance of okay I have transferable skills and experiences that I can leverage across different spaces. I just now need to know, okay, what positions are those? How do I talk about it? And then how do I really make sure I'm selling myself to recruiters and to hiring managers? And so again, going back to this idea of, well, how did you do it? It was just kind of sitting down and teaching myself. Like I said, I didn't want to tell everyone that I was thinking of going outside of higher ed because again, higher ed is such a tight knit community and everyone knows everyone. And so I focused on networking, starting with folks that were in my own network, my friends and my family, asking them if they knew anyone who potentially worked in tech, who would be open to having a coffee chat or an informational interview. And from those conversations, I think I just gathered really tangible action items and just kind of sat down and put in the time and effort and work into trying to figure out what what a career pivot really means. Going back to what you said about 
finding the transferable skills that you have in higher education and how you can translate them to various roles. Can you dive deeper with us on how you were able to do that? Like, did you look at the job ad and say, oh, I've done this before, I've done this before? Like, how, how, how did you make that connection? Great question. So I definitely learned early on that language is so important, right? The way in which we talk about what it is we do is incredible. And a lot of our industries have very specific acronyms or ways in which we describe our work. However, some of that language doesn't translate across to different industries. And so similar to what you just outlined, Max, I went ahead and I would dissect the job descriptions of what are the requirements or qualifications and for each line marking out kind of like, okay, what is a skill that aligns with it? Or what is my most transferable experience that really translates to what they're looking for? And then how do I pull the language to make sure I'm leaning into this notion of having it translate very clearly? So for example, in higher ed, I would say we're very much so student centric, which makes sense. And that is awesome. But that's not the case with tech companies, right? And so higher education, everything is centered around the student. And we also arguably use a lot of fluffy language, I would say. Not that that's a bad thing, but it is definitely a little bit more fluffy than what the language you will use or kind of be accustomed to in a different industry. So understanding those nuances and understanding, okay, how can I take this resume that's very student-centric and change it into something that speaks to someone in tech was something that I really needed to sit down and focus on. And so even a language change of changing like the number of students I impacted or worked with, for example, within my programs, simply changing that to some verbiage that I'm pulling from the job description. So users or employees or even individuals like can already make such an incredible impact on transferring the skills that you're presenting to a given recruiter or a hiring manager. And I think another thing is really quantifying the impact of the work that I um, am doing in my roles. Again, that wasn't necessarily something that I wasn't, like it's not something that's not important in higher ed, but I would say it's even more important for folks in tech. So really pulling out this notion of like, fluffy language or more positive student-centered experiences and really learning how to communicate in a more data-driven way, if that makes sense. Yeah, so that leads me to the next question. So walk us through your resume writing process on how you were able to translate a lot of the language that you just mentioned into something that a tech recruiter or tech manager would understand. Okay, I will start by saying my resume is probably nowhere near to being perfect. <laughs> it's always a work in progress, but it's also very helpful to spend some time on LinkedIn, figuring out how folks are talking about their work within the tech space. What language are they using that can maybe help influence what my bullet points look like? And so very much so this notion of grabbing the job description, what are the skills and experiences, dissecting it, seeing them side by side, and then kind of going through my resume in a way that, again, you don't want to regurgitate the job description by any means, but are there ways to make sure that the bullet points you're presenting in your current resume that you're submitting for a specific job 
correlate or can help the hiring manager connect the dots between why you and how would you be a great fit for this role. So I know it's not the world's easiest kind of like, this is my secret, Max, but it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of research and spending time kind of seeing what language is working for other folks who are currently in the field and asking for feedback. Going back to what you just said about getting feedback, when you did the informational interviews, did you ask for feedback on your resume and how you could reamp it to become stronger? Absolutely. Yes. I absolutely asked for feedback with folks that I facilitated coffee chats or informational interviews with. I wouldn't say I asked everyone, right? I think it was definitely, it had to be the right kind of conversation, the right segue to seeing like, do they have the capacity? Are they willing or able to go ahead and give feedback? But absolutely, using those conversations as a way to have them either take a look at my resume, pass their resume along, kind of share their approach was something that, again, I paid very much so close attention to. And I also, again, just like LinkedIn, right? Like there's so much happening on LinkedIn that I really think folks aren't well aware of. Um, And LinkedIn posts easily give you feedback on how to approach a resume. You have career coaches that really just master resume writing and are there to help you. And so figuring out ways to really invest in yourself um, is something very important. You touched upon something that's important when it comes to networking is to understand social awareness, which is the vibe of the conversation. You can kind of tell whether someone's actually willing to help you further than just the conversation, just by the way they're interacting with you. So when professionals reach out to me saying, oh, when can I ask for like help if, they, if there's a job I'm interested in, I always say that like, you have to interact with the person and feel them out to see if they're willing to help you like one step further. If they're just there for the conversation, you can kind of tell. Uh, w- would you agree with that? Is, is it more about like social awareness of the individual to see what, uh, what capacity they have in terms of helping you? Yes, absolutely. 100% social awareness, understanding, understanding like when is okay, like when when is it approachable or okay to go ahead and to, to even request for that informational or coffee chat, right? I think networking is so important, but it is something that also needs to be approached with um, with some strategy behind it, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to build authentic relationships. You don't want to assume that everyone on the other side of a computer or phone screen is willing and waiting to sit there and help you. They also, it's kind of like a give and take, right? Like, so what can you give them for that, for then for you to be able to maybe make an ask and take from them? So focus on building those authentic relationships and absolutely understanding what's the vibe. (laughs) Going back to what you said about LinkedIn, why don't you walk us through on how you're able to pivot your profile to focus more on tech? One of the common issues that I've had in terms of speaking to professionals is that when they try to like pivot their experience on their LinkedIn profile, they just end up getting recruiters reaching out to them for the role that they're currently in. And they're trying to pivot to a different type of role. Why don't you guys how you reamped your LinkedIn profile on pivoting into the tech space and really translating those transferable skills and highlighting that in your profile? Absolutely. Yes. I'm still learning LinkedIn, but I'm so much further along than where I was when I started this. So LinkedIn is a phenomenal platform 
and you really get out what you put in. So it's so important to invest that time and energy to really build your presence and curate your page and your LinkedIn feed to really reflect what it is you want out of your career and who you're associating with in order to get to your next step. And so a lot of it was, again, me sitting down and spending so much time. I have this notebook (laughs) of all of my kind of research that I went through throughout my career pivot. And it was just learning more about LinkedIn. I think spending time understanding the really key features of a LinkedIn page, kind of the ones that I would call out here are making sure your LinkedIn settings are ready to go and that in the back end, recruiters know that you're actively searching for a job. I think LinkedIn headlines, right? If you can go ahead and make sure those keywords of wherever you want to pivot, is that communicated in your LinkedIn headline? And what is your value added? So folks understand that it's not just random keywords or random kind of like fluff, but it's intentional. Like you've sat and you've thought about why your headline makes sense for you to go from one industry to the next. Make sure your photo is public is very important. Your about section, this was something that I don't even know if I had an about section when I logged on to LinkedIn once I figured, okay, Sydney, I really need to be on this platform to make this career pivot. It's so important. So spend time reading through other folks' about section. What really pulls your attention to a given page? I think as much as you can, make it very personable. Don't tell a long story, but tell a story about why you're pivoting. So folks understand, again, where you're at and why you're considering a career pivot. And then really building out that experience and skill sets. And so again, those are all things that I'm pulling from my notebook of me sitting down, watching YouTube videos, connecting with content creators on LinkedIn based off of their posts and kind of what they suggest you do. That's kind of how I built up to where I am currently. Again, LinkedIn page is still always a work in progress. So one of the things that a lot of professionals end up not doing anymore is like once they get the job, they end up not being active on LinkedIn. So what's your take on it? Are you still like active in a way where you're still like building community, reaching out to people in the tech space to learn more about the field? What's your activity level now since you've gotten the job? Absolutely. Yes. I do think that that's very common for folks to leverage LinkedIn, land a job, and then peace out. (laughs) But I would ultimately really hope that folks who are listening really continue to engage with LinkedIn. That's what I'm doing. LinkedIn helped me tremendously in making this career pivot. And I've met so many phenomenal and supportive folks throughout that experience that I want to stay in touch with, that I want to continue learning from. And so I've actually challenged myself to be a little bit more present on LinkedIn. I push myself outside of my comfort zone and try to post at least one to three times a week. And sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't. I give myself grace. But every time I log on to that platform, I'm consistently motivated to try something new, learn something new, share a comment on a post that really resonated with me. So absolutely, after you find that job in that new career field, 100% continue to log on and contribute to the platform. Start by taking small steps, right? Sometimes we just scroll and like or react to a post. Start by commenting. 
I have met so many people through comments on LinkedIn posts. And then I began trying to post myself and create my own content. Again, very much so out of my comfort zone, but it's something that I've really enjoyed doing and something that has been well accepted with folks that are on the platform. Great. And let's go to the next phase of the LinkedIn journey. So you have your profile ready. You mentioned before that you were doing networking with friends and family that knew people in the tech space, correct? Correct. Yes. Did you also cold outreach on LinkedIn or was it more through your warm network? I will say that I tried to cold outreach and did not have much success, which again, makes sense, right? And we hear about it a lot on LinkedIn. And there's some feedback as to how you can go about that. But as much as you can, warm kind of closer networks where you have those connections is where I had the most success. It's great you bring that up because a lot of career coaches on LinkedIn just talk about like cold outreach and then they talk to enough people and they get an interview and then they get a job, right? But it's great to showcase that, yes, you network, but not in the conventional way that a lot of LinkedIn career coaches are promoting. It didn't work for you, but you tried another avenue. You didn't just straight stop networking because one way didn't work. You just went another way and you still got to where you are. So I think it's good that you highlight that. Yes, networking can work for some people on LinkedIn. It might not work well for others, but there's also other alternatives that you can use to network effectively. Correct. And I think to go back and kind of comment on the presence and engagement you have on LinkedIn, that really helps receive better outcomes with some of your cold kind of LinkedIn messages. And so the more I was engaged with the platform and engaging in the comments section on some posts, like there were a few coffee chats and informational interviews that definitely came out of that. But more often than not, they were through kind of my friends or my family, my personal network. Great. So moving on to the networking side of things. So tell us your networking strategy with your warm network. So how did you approach it? Did you say, hey, I'm one again to tech. Do you know anybody in tech right now that I could talk to for more information in terms of how to pivot into a role there? Walk us through the process of how you went about it. Yes, that's exactly how I went about it. It sounds so simple, but it was truly, I had no idea what I was even trying to get myself into, Max. And so it would very much so be conversations of talking to my friends or my family saying, hey, I'm thinking of this. Is there someone that you might know that would be willing to chat about their experience? And those conversations, right, like those simple, small, minute conversations or asks, would lead to tremendous outcomes for me, right? From a networking perspective, I was kind of hesitant, to be honest, to share with my friends and family, like, hey, Sydney's been doing higher education for the last X amount of years, and now she's ready to get out of it. So, right, like, I I just didn't know what they would think of me if I did that. But once I finally got the courage to ask, So many people were willing to help and one conversation led to the next. So yeah, exactly. It sounds simple, but it really works. So walk us through an informational interview conversation. Like what type of questions should one ask when you have these conversations and what questions do they usually ask you? Oh, great questions. So I have a list of 50 plus questions asked during informational interviews And that's such a great resource. So definitely reach out if you need any help figuring out what to ask. But I think it's most important to really spend the time understanding what it is that they do. What do they enjoy most about the work that they do? How did they even 
get into that career in the first place, right? I think one of my most memorable informational interviews was talking to someone who was in a very similar position as I was. She started in one career, ended up didn't think like that was where she ultimately was supposed to be, found herself in tech, but it became a full circle because in her job in tech, she's able to make very similar impacts and work with very similar organizations that she initially wanted to by being in the nonprofit sector from the beginning. So kind of a side tangent, but it's very true. Kind of understanding how did they get there because everything, everyone's career trajectory is not linear. You always can learn something from someone else's experience. Understanding what keeps them at that company, like what are they working on that continues to excite them? What continues to wake them up in the morning to be excited to go to work? What are some challenges that they're working through? What are some opportunities that folks with that position, what's next essentially in their career trajectory, just to get an understanding of, okay, I can see myself in this role, but long-term, where does this role get me to? So questions like that. And I think questions that they were able to ask me was, again, what was going on in my head? Why was I considering a career pivot? What do I enjoy doing that I hope to continue to do in this new role or this new industry? So very similar to kind of career clarity questions was kind of the conversation. It's good that you mentioned that uh, professional where she used to be in nonprofit and then pivoted to tech because it's a good example of like, there's nothing that's new under the sun, right? There's probably countless of people that were in different industries and moved to tech and you were able to find someone that was in a completely different industry and was able to pivot successfully. So in a way you could reverse engineer her journey and get into tech because again, you're in an industry that's not tech related at all, but you want to get into it. So in a way, like she's already created that path for people such as yourself that doesn't have that tech experience. So it's one of those things where for any professionals listening, if you are trying to go from one field to something completely different, there's probably countless of other people that have done the same. You just have to find those people and they can share their story with you so you can have a better, clearer path on how you can get there, right? Exactly. So going back to what you said about like people saying that, oh, Sydney has so many years of higher education experience. How did you know if you were aiming too high or too low in pivoting to a different field? So what I mean by that is you've done very well for yourself in higher education. Did you think that when you pivot to a new industry such as tech, you would have to start really low at the totem pole, like for example, a coordinator and then work your way back up? So what was your feeling with that? That's a, yep, great question. I didn't know. I truly did not know where to start, what roles to start with. I think I used some of those informational interviews to help me get a little bit of a sense of what are some of the role titles I even should be researching or looking into. That was another question that I would ask during those informational interviews is, again, I'm new here, don't know what else I should ask or what kind of search filters I should use, for example, on LinkedIn to even try to see what positions I should be targeting. And I guess I didn't necessarily know like too high or too low until I asked those questions and then dove a little bit deeper into the job description. I don't think I necessarily focused on how low of the totem pole I would be starting out at because it was such a different industry that I don't even know if I like even cared how, not that I didn't care, but I just didn't focus on that. That wasn't important to me. I was just focusing on roles where 
again, something that I was excited to do and it aligned with my strengths and my skills and my experiences. So I believe like through your informational interviews with various people in tech, you ended up getting the business operation program manager role, which you're currently in now. So how did you get to that point of, oh, this might be a good job opportunity for me because it aligns with my skill set in my background in higher education? Yep, that's a great question. And again, going back to what you just said was it was through talking with folks and informational interviews. I would have not been able to tell you, hey, Max, I'm looking outside of higher ed as an industry. I'm looking into business operations, program management, truly could not have told you what that even consisted of. But when you look at job descriptions side by side, there are so many things that are very similar. And so it took having conversations or it took that informational interview with this person who works at Microsoft to really help put that together. And so it wasn't a role that I like sought out individually. It was definitely through networking, through talking to folks and telling them what I was good at and what I enjoyed doing for them to say, hey, Sydney, I think a business operations PM would actually be a great role for you to try your hand in. So the informational interviews gave you career clarity in terms of what positions you should go after, which is what you just said, right? Exactly. Exactly. Great. And how long was the networking process for you? Was it a few months? Like how many people did you reach out to? Like, let's break down the numbers. Ooh, I haven't really thought about it in terms of numbers per se. I would say that I started networking in, I would say maybe like November and it was probably not the best time to start networking because so many folks are checked out, it's holidays, and I was just trying to hit the ground running and really make the most of this career pivot and kind of all of the energy that I had after learning and really diving into understanding what even existed out there. So I would also say that I had, I think I navigated like three serious interview processes with different companies before landing at Microsoft in March. So over a span of, what, six months, the networking, the conversations, the revamp of resumes, really practicing how I talk about my experience, all of that took place throughout that time frame. And I wouldn't necessarily be able to give you a number of how many folks I talked to, per se, but hopefully that's like a general overview of what my process or my timeline really looks like. It's good that you mentioned the timeline of it took about six months from networking to landing that job because a lot of people think that networking is quick and easy. So I spoke to professionals before, right? And they say, oh, networking doesn't work. And then I'd be like, oh, how many people did you talk to? Oh, I talked to like four people and I didn't get anything out of it, right? But I, I keep telling people that networking is a long game. That's why I always tell people that you want to build up your network before you actually need it. But a lot of professionals, when they are looking for another opportunity, they end up getting desperate because they haven't really have a strategy in place. So they're trying to network with as many people as possible. And that usually doesn't work. But you were able to like pace yourself and have a strategy in place. And you knew it was going to take time to get to where you are. Exactly. And I think another really big piece about that, Max, is that networking is also what you make of it. So you're not just going to have a conversation and have a job the next day. But once you have those conversations, you really need to act on them, right? Like, what did you take from those conversations? What can you integrate into your day-to-day -day routine? Like, what are the action items that are in between some of these networking conversations? Because that's another really big piece is 
how much time and energy I invested because I know that this was something I really wanted. Again, something I really wanted. I knew I wanted that change in 2020. Pandemic had other plans for me, but I know that that was something that was so important for me. And I was happy to have landed at Microsoft in March of 20, 2021. So going back to the, how you got that job, like through these informational interviews, did one of them end up referring you in? Or did someone say, oh, there's an opening right now. Do you want to apply for it? How did that come about? Yep. So I had an informational interview with someone who worked at Microsoft, who connected me with someone who like knew the recruiter. So eventually recruiter and I had an informational and then that kind of led into a few different conversations with the team and a full interview loop. Great. And you said something about like, like once the first conversation is over, you should try to maintain like the relationship, like following up, right? Because the common thing that people do when it comes to networking, they have a good first conversation and then they end up not talking to them anymore, right? So what is some advice that you can provide in terms of maintaining that loop with people that you've connected with over time? Definitely. I think, again, it just comes down to relationship building and being authentic. And so providing check-ins or saying thank you, right? Like the amount of times folks might not think to send a thank you email after a conversation, or if you feel like it's a little bit more casual, even a thank you text and just providing an update like, hey, checking in, you know, I was able to talk with so-and-so based off of our conversation. I really appreciate you making that connection. Thank you again. Something so simple, but again, it allows you to continue to have touch points. And so I think that that was something that with this specific individual that I have in mind, like that was something that I really leveraged throughout that time frame with her. And going back to you interviewing formally at Microsoft, was there any type of questions where they questioned your lack of tech experience at all? Or were you able to pivot your story in a way that, yes, I don't have tech experience, but this is the skills that I'm able to transfer from my higher education work experience? You know, I think like I did not find that they kind of looked down on me for not having tech experience. They were very optimistic. I definitely practiced, right? Like how I was going to communicate my skill set and my experience and how that translates to that specific role I was talking and interviewing for. But at no point were they kind of just like looking down on me or hoping for further clarification because of my lack of tech experience. I think like the webinar that I mentioned earlier, the non-tech in tech, people exist at these companies that don't have a technical background and that's perfectly fine. I also think that these companies are open to bringing in diverse talent, right? And diverse talent also crosses this field of not everyone's going to have the same background or experience or educational certificate. It's different, right? And I, I think that, that they find value in that. And so, for example, I also began asking folks in interviews, like, are there any concerns with my background for this specific role? And one of the things I was able to look back in my notes for this Microsoft job was, Nope, not at all, right? Like you have an open attitude and the willingness to learn is there. I can see it and I can hear it in a lot of your responses. And so it will just be important for you to ask questions and ask for help. But at the end of the day, like you've got this. I'm not worried about your lack of tech experience. So what did they ask you if they knew that you didn't have tech experience? Was it more like behavioral questions, like how you would operate in a team or how would you like manage multiple priorities? Was it more those type of questions? 
Exactly. Yep. I think it's very similar to other interviews. Is It was very tailored to the job at hand. What were my strengths, weaknesses, kind of how would I respond in this scenario? Can you share an example of X, Y, Z? Really being able to relate to those again and not necessarily feeling like, hey, Sydney, let me create a different set of questions for you because you don't have tech experience. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. So it's more like behavioral questions that you would get in a typical interview that you would get somewhere else. Absolutely. Yes. What was the gap between final interview and job offer? You know, it was a very quick turnaround and I was so grateful for it. I think the offer was made the same day. And so I was really surprised when my recruiter called to debrief the interview, check in, see how it went. And then towards the end of the call, just saying, the team really loved you and is ready to make an offer. So how did you tell the good news to your family and friends? And then how would you tell the bad news to your current employer? Oh, that is a great question. So family, friends, I made sure to do it on FaceTime. Like I worked so hard for this. I couldn't do it. Like I could not share the news in a text message and I did not want to do it over a phone call. And so if I wasn't in person, I leveraged FaceTime as much as possible. And folks were thrilled. They were so excited. I think the harder conversations were with my folks in higher ed, right? Like the people that I was going to be leaving, that meant the world to me. There were a lot of tears. I think one of the most challenging conversations was probably telling my mentor, who initially mentored me into the field of higher ed, you know? And I think that was something that I was so scared to share. And she welcomed me with open arms. She was thrilled for me. She was excited. She was able to say that, you know, Sydney, like, this doesn't mean that you can't return to higher ed if you choose to do so in the future. She knows that I would be an asset anywhere, right? Like the world's sweetest things that she could have said she shared. And so it was definitely something I needed to navigate a little bit differently, especially since we were all remote couldn't really tell folks in person if they should, right? Like, I think a lot of those conversations should have been in person, but because of the pandemic, they had to be over FaceTime. <laughs> so you got the job, you accepted the offer. What was your game plan going in from an onboarding process? Like, were you nervous or how did you wrap around your mindset and go in with the confidence that they saw in you when you interviewed? I was so nervous. Yes. I didn't really know what to expect. It was all new to me. I made sure to remind myself that, right, like they saw something in me that they wanted to immediately offer. They knew that I could do this job. And so me continuously kind of pushing down any sort of imposter syndrome was so important. But at the end of the day, I clicked really well with the team. I felt really comfortable asking questions. And I really just took their advice on knowing that there's going to be a learning curve. And I already knew that going in, that was part of me kind of sharing my story of transitioning from one career field to another is there's going to be a learning curve, but I'm ready and I'm eager to land this, right? And so, yeah, it was definitely nerve wracking, but I asked a lot of questions. I made sure to lean on folks for support. I had so many one-on-ones with my supervisor during the first week or two, just to kind of check in, make sure everything was okay. But at the end of the day, it worked out and I'm really happy that it did. 
And you've been in your current role for about five months, right? Five to six months. So from that exposure and that amount of time at Microsoft, what are some similarities and differences between working at Microsoft and your time at higher ed? Great question. So some differences I would say are work-life balance, compensation, innovation, and like the willingness to embrace change and this notion of flexibility, right? Like the fact that I... I'm able to take lunch, like I am able to log off at the end of the day and not feel like something's going to be on fire the next minute is something that I thoroughly enjoy in tech versus higher ed. Compensation doubled easily what I was making. And that says a lot. And that's that makes me sad, right? It makes me so sad at the end of the day because higher ed was all I knew. Didn't realize how little we are paid in the field. And higher ed folks deserve so much more than what they receive. I've started using the saying, but it almost feels like folks pick up like a pile of dirt on the side of the road and give it to you when you work in higher ed. Like it's so little and I don't know how folks are supposed to survive on that. So compensation has been a huge difference. Innovation, willingness to embrace change, flexibility. I'm in a fully remote role and that would never exist in higher ed. And I think the similarities are are people, right? Like at the end of the day, there are phenomenal people in every industry. There are people who are willing to serve as mentors, willing and eager to kind of help you develop and grow. And so as much as I had that in higher ed, I was nervous about what that would look like in tech, but happy to say that like, again, there are phenomenal people in both places. It's kind of surprising that you said that higher education employees don't get that much money when I hear all these stories about how expensive school is in the States. <laughs> yeah, we do not get paid well. But uh, there's actually a, someone tagged me in it this morning on LinkedIn, one of, someone in my network, and she was like, hey, Sydney, I think you'd really enjoy this. There's actually a recent article in the Chronicle of Higher Education. It's called The Great Disillusionment by Lindsay Ellis. It's a great read, and it also highlights some very similar themes of what we're talking about and why folks might be looking to leave higher ed, and it highlights more similarities and differences and whatnot. So check it out. So again, you've been in this role for about five to six months now. You're working fully remote, even when people go back to the office, like from a national perspective, it's still be remote for you, right? Correct. Yep. My team is located in mainly Redmond or Vancouver. All right. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense for you to go to the office when no one's there from your team, right? Yeah. I mean, I've met some folks that do report into the Mountain View office, and I'm sure I would be able to join them on campus for some days, but I do really enjoy the flexibility of remote work. So you've been in this role for five to six months. What's your five-year plan in your career in terms of like where you want to go and grow as a professional? I love that question, Max, and I'm still working on figuring that out. Similar to as if I were navigating my job search, right? Like I'm still hosting informational interviews and copy chats. I've started to identify mentors within the field and really understand like, what do their career paths look like? What do they do in their roles? I work closely with the chief of staff, for example. And so I've never considered that role before. And so I'm learning all of these cool positions that exist in tech. And so cannot give you a hard, definitive, what is my next five years look like? I'm really excited to figure that out, but I know that it will definitely be in tech. 
Fantastic. So I want to end this conversation with one last question that I ask every guest that comes on my podcast. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome various challenges in their career. So why don't you share with us one of the biggest roadblocks slash challenges you had faced in your career and what did you do to overcome it? Again, it might be this journey that you've shared with us for the past hour, but if there's something else, feel free to share with us. That's a great question. I definitely think that my career pivot was probably, again, it's probably top of mind because we've been chatting about it, but it was definitely a challenge and a roadblock and a barrier. And I know that a lot of folks are considering a career pivot right now as a result of the pandemic. And so I think the biggest takeaway is how I felt throughout the process of feeling alone or isolated and not having someone to really lean on at the beginning, right? Like I eventually learned there were other folks out there. There's a whole world on LinkedIn. There's a career coach, right? Like, so I think the biggest learning moment is never feel alone or isolated. Like there's so many folks out there to help you. You just have to find those people. And by finding them is you first have to vocalize your story. And so as much as possible, push yourself outside of your comfort zone, get on LinkedIn, share some posts, comment on things, follow people and ask questions because at the end of the day, if you've never asked, like the answer is always going to be no. And so set yourself up for success and understand what it is you need to succeed at any given point throughout your career and go out there and find someone who can help. Because at the end of the day, there are so many people that want to help and build those authentic relationships. I want to really hone the message that even when you get the job, you're still network, which you still are doing, right? You're doing coffee chats, you're finding mentors in order to grow your career in the tech space. Because again, the common thing is that once you get the job, you end up completely cutting the networking off, but you're still building that internally as well as externally. So it's, it's great that you are still building those relationships and building up the skills that you've developed when you were looking for the job, but now you're taking the next level and growing those relationships to get to the next level in your career in tech. Thanks, Max. So again, really enjoyed this conversation and I hope a lot of people listening right now find value in your journey from pivoting to one industry to the next. So how can people find you online if they want to learn more about your career journey and possibly have a chat with you to, for you to provide them guidance on making a career move of their own? Absolutely. Yep. LinkedIn. <laughs> That's where I'm at. That's where I'll be. Again, I am very intentional on my LinkedIn presence. It's not perfect never will be, but it is something that I have been very grateful of as part of this career pivot journey. And so any folks who have any questions, feel free to give me a follow on LinkedIn, send me a connection request, follow any of my content, ask any sort of questions, happy to help as much as possible. And I do make coffee chats or schedule coffee chats with folks that I meet on LinkedIn. So as much as possible, I try to, to carve out some time throughout a given month and meet new folks. And that could be you. Thanks, Sydney. Again, appreciate it. And best of luck for the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you, Max. I appreciate it. I'll see you on LinkedIn. Thank you again to Sydney for sharing her story and how she was successfully able to pivot from higher education into the tech space without any prior tech experience. The main lesson I want to highlight in Sydney's story is that when you have a proper plan in place, you too can be able to achieve your career goals. Sydney's plan was first reamping her resume and LinkedIn and tailoring it 
to the industry that she was applying for or wanting to get into, which is the tech space. And then she utilized her warm network to have conversations with people in that space. And one of these conversations went so well that the professional she spoke to actually directed her to a recruiter that had a specific job opening that Sydney would be a good fit for. So Sydney got in touch with the recruiter, went through the entire interview process, and the rest they say is history. I do want to mention that it took her six months to successfully pivot into the world of tech. So if you're looking to make a career change, it will not happen overnight. It takes time, it takes diligence, and it takes consistency in order to get to where you want to go. So if you want to make a career change, start planning now and start actioning your plan as soon as you can. The longer you wait, the longer it takes, as they say. If you want to hear my insights and my take on this episode, make sure to check out ChanCap Friday morning on all popular podcast platforms. Again, this is Chan with A Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening.